Are you living a life that you didn't picture, prepare for, or pray for? The fallen world affects us all at some level. But what should you do about it? Deny it? Hide it? Hate it? Let's talk about all that, and ultimately, how to make peace with the life you didn't plan. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book Shut Up Devil, creator of the Shut Up Devil app. I'm all about shutting down the lies and the struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life, and I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience. I'd love for you to join me live on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org slash live. Okay, most of us grow up to a soundtrack that plays on repeat in the back of our minds. It's a cheerful, bright melody that serenades us through the hard times and propels us forward with hope on dreary days. The soundtrack is the story we tell ourselves of what life will be like, filled with good people and good feelings and good fortune. If we've been fortunate enough to have healthy upbringings, most of us expect some sort of normalcy and comfort, I think, the kind of lives, if not better, than that of our parents and those in the communities around us. Megan grew up like most girls, planning her future family. She envisioned that she'd meet her Prince Charming in college, just like her mom did. She believed by 40, they'd have three children, like the average family in her suburban evangelical church. That was the plan. But 40 came with no Prince Charming, no children, no prospects, and some medical issues that make her wonder if there could ever be any prospects. Life was far from what she had planned. Colin was one of the most athletic in his school. Football, basketball, baseball, water skiing, snowboarding. You name the sport, he loved it. He saw a future filled with adventure and exotic travel, the kind of life his parents enjoyed. But in the summer between high school and college, a rock climbing accident left him paralyzed from the waist down. Life was far from what he had planned. For years, life was going as planned for Rose. She and her husband met at church, had two children, and were building a sizable nest egg that she looked forward to enjoying in early retirement. From the outside looking in, they had a love story fit for a Hallmark movie. But ten years into the marriage, she realized that this love story was indeed just from the outside looking in. Because inside, she finally had to confront the fact that her husband had a mistress. But it wasn't another woman. It was his business. Though her church friends insisted she keep fighting, she just couldn't do it anymore. And with two elementary-aged kids, she became a single mom. She never thought divorce would be part of her story. Life was far from what she had planned. I could go on and on with stories like these. There are a million different varieties of lives that aren't what someone had planned. 
It could be dealing with symptoms you never accounted for, the death of a loved one you never saw coming so soon, the disability of a child, the career that floundered instead of took off, or even something to do with the choices of your child. At some level, we all are living a life that we didn't exactly picture, prepare for, or pray for. And the truth is, that's life in this fallen world. But even still, I know that saying that's life doesn't do anything to ease the pain of disappointment, the shame of what does this mean about me, the fear of what's ahead, maybe the anger of why me, why God. I know that it might not help you even trust that God is good. To be sure, this isn't a message about why bad things happen, though I'll touch on that a bit. This is really meant to be an earnest and vulnerable discussion about how to move forward and make peace with the life that isn't what you planned. Because really, that's all you're in control of. If you haven't figured it out by now, you will. You can't control circumstances, situations, definitely not other people. You can't even control everything about yourself, like how you came together in your mother's womb, or your health today or tomorrow. But you can control your response to it all. And really, when it comes to having victory, joy, peace in this life, your response to realities matters far more than the realities themselves. So let's talk about realities. I think that's a good place to start. Making peace with your life as it is doesn't mean denying how it is. The road to redemption is never in denial. I know that some people will tell you not to acknowledge anything negative in your life because you'll give it power. But frankly, that's just phony. And all it does is create a phony, inauthentic church where people do nothing but pretend through pain but never get any progress. And nobody wants to be part of something like that anymore. You simply cannot get healed of what you won't admit. God doesn't heal mass. He heals real people. So you have to be real. This is why James 5.16, it says, confess your faults one to another so that you may be healed. James didn't say deny your faults. He didn't say pretend they don't exist. He said confess them, which means to verbalize them. It's okay to talk about them. Now, I'm not saying you have to talk about them with everybody. Find your trusted few. And if nobody else, certainly voice it to God. God can handle the truth. He can handle the grief. He can even handle the anger. He can handle you being mad at Him at times. It's not a big deal to Him. Allow yourself to feel the feelings and show the emotions. It's healthy to grieve. Jesus grieved. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 4. It says there's a time to cry 
and a time to laugh, a time to grieve, and a time to dance. In the Old Testament, God outlined that time to grieve. He gave different amounts of days for different situations. But he allowed a time to grieve. It was his idea. It's a way of getting the pain out. You don't have to. You shouldn't keep things bottled up and hidden. It's not healthy. There is healing in the revealing, as I often say. You know, the Bible doesn't hide stories about disappointment and suffering. It doesn't take but flipping through just about any section of Scripture, whether it's Old or New Testament, to see it all on full display. In just the first five books of the Bible, we read of Israel's ups and downs, and even their frustrations with God about things not going as they thought it would. The Psalms are full of laments. Like in Psalm 13, verse 1, from David. David, who was favored of God. He had his share of laments. He says, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul had some plans that didn't go exactly as he thought. There are many instances in Paul's life, but in one, he spent years raising money, money that he planned to bring as a gift to Jerusalem. And when he got to Jerusalem, finally, he wasn't so accepted. In fact, in Acts 21, it details how he was ambushed and arrested and taken to Rome. Not what he had planned. But writing from prison to his protege, Timothy, I want you to see how Paul introduced himself, what he said, because this is going to make a good first point for us. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 1, Paul opens, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, what is in that that I'm trying to show you? (laughs) Well, if you go through his letter to Timothy, if you continue on, you'll see that he does recount some of what happened and his disappointments. He didn't bottle them up. He didn't hide them. He wasn't ashamed of them. He does recount them. But here, in his opening to Timothy, he doesn't introduce himself as the failure or the person where things didn't go his way, he introduced himself as the one chosen by God. You see, my point is, he never let those disappointments define him. Never let them define his faith, never let them define God. And that's a huge point about being able to make peace with your life. In my book, Shut Up Devil, the first chapter discusses the enemy's role as slanderer. Chapter is actually titled The Slanderer. And that's because, as I teach, slanderer is literally what the name devil means in Greek. It's diabolos, that's slanderer. You know what that means. To slander is to say something in a way that defines someone, particularly defines them as bad, to destroy their reputation. And that's really the devil's goal with the devices he uses, including disappointment. 
Now, I'm not saying the devil is the cause of every disappointment. I don't think he's behind every bad thing. But he'll use whatever he can do to do bad things. He'll use anything, any device, any situation to do bad things. And disappointment is a device he uses to slander. First, to slander yourself. When hardship happens or something doesn't go as planned, many people look inward. They look to themselves and they wonder, what did I do wrong to cause this? You hear this kind of thing a lot from sexual abuse victims all the time. Just a couple weeks ago, I heard from a lady who was molested by her father for years. And as you can imagine, that caused a whole lot of issues as she grew up that made life go far differently than she had planned. And even though she knew that she never consented nor asked for nor wanted any of his actions, she still somehow believed it must have happened because of something she did wrong or something that was wrong about her. Sometimes it's other people who will make you feel that way. Sadly, really religious people are notorious for being sin inspectors and pain diagnosers. My friend David lost his mom to cancer at like 15 or 16 years old. In an instant, life dramatically changed from what he had planned. And sadly, when it happened, many in his parents' church blamed it on him. They pointed to some of his fairly public failures as a teenager to insist he was the culprit for this tragedy. I guess whether it's yourself or someone else, blaming a person for their problems is a tale as old as time. You might recall this is what Job's friends did when his life took a sudden turn from what he had planned, and he lost almost everything but his nagging wife. His friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, were quick to come into town and diagnosed his sin as the source of his pain. In the end, though, God cleared Job's name. And his friends were the ones who God rebuked for making such a judgment and saying things that weren't right about God's character. In the New Testament, the disciples asked Jesus why the man was born blind. Look at John 9.2. They say, Rabbi, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It's always something to do about somebody's sins. And Jesus said, neither. So please hear me. The fact that life isn't what you planned doesn't necessarily have anything to do with you. It doesn't necessarily mean you did something wrong. It definitely doesn't mean that you are wrong. It doesn't mean you don't have enough faith. Sadly, I have to say that in some circles. Yes, faith is a means by which we receive things from God. We receive grace through faith. We receive His promises through faith, promises such as peace and comfort. But faith and troubles are not directly related. More faith doesn't mean you're just going to have a life of ease, and less faith doesn't mean you're just going to have a life of suffering. 
as we saw Paul, who probably had more faith than anyone, experienced difficulties. And Jesus said himself in John 16, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. So it's an inevitable part of life in a fallen world, but also in a fallen world with free choice, that there will be sorrows even for the most faith-filled Christians. And actually, and I know that this is really a separate message and probably deserving of its own book, but the fact that sorrows and disappointments can exist is evidence of God's love. I know some of you are saying, that doesn't make sense. What What are you talking about, Kyle? Like I said, this deserves its own message, but the most loving thing God could do is allow people the free choice to love him and be loved by him. And, well, with that free choice comes the ability for people to make bad choices and therefore start a domino effect in creation of unfortunate circumstances, just like Adam and Eve kicked off whenever they took the first bite from the bait of Satan. So yes, God could have protected us from all of that. He could still protect us from all of that. But to do so, he would have to control every aspect of creation and ourselves, which would make us nothing more than robots in a simulation. That's not love. You parents who want your children to freely love you back know that in order to do that, you have to give them freedom. It has to be their choice that's true love. So God lovingly gives us the freedom to choose, which means that things won't always turn out the way they are supposed to be or the way that God would prefer them to. And that leads me to the other thing I have to mention. Even if you really did do something wrong, God didn't cause whatever to happen. He didn't change the course of your life as a punishment for it. You see, to God, the problem with sin is dealt with. Jesus took the punishment for it, once and for all. And this isn't just my opinion, by the way, but it's one of the most supported truths in Scripture. I'll go through four. At Jesus' birth, the angels announced it was coming when they said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, Peace between God and men. John the Baptist declared it. John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Apostle Paul confirmed it, that it happened on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting our sins against us. The Apostle John confirmed it too. 1 John 2, 2, he himself is the sacrifice, speaking of Jesus, that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. So you've got the angels, 
John the Baptist, the Apostle Paul, and John, all saying the same thing. So that's pretty good precedent in Scripture for this. It's very clear that nothing happening in this world or in your world is a punishment for sin. That punishment was taken by Jesus. Don't let the devil convince you otherwise, because that's what he'd love to do. Okay, I said all of that to say, making peace with the life you didn't plan includes being at peace with yourself, realizing that what you experience means nothing about you or your faith, and it includes knowing that you are at peace with God, that your life and how it turned out is not a punishment from God. You are still unconditionally loved by Him. The God who loved you first still loves you first today. As you continue your journey of making peace with your life, you eventually have to get to a point of redefining success. You see, most of us have set our expectations and our definitions of success according to a milestone that culture has dictated, that your family and friends have reached, or maybe even something conveyed by your church. A lot of churches say it's got to be this way. Perhaps in your community, everyone gets married by 25 and has children, but you can't. Maybe in your family, everyone went to college and then moved on to make a six-figure salary, but you didn't. Well, that's good for them, but it doesn't mean the life that you have is bad for you. It doesn't mean you are any less successful or any less valuable. Get this. In 1828, Webster's Dictionary defines success as the favorable termination of anything attempted. Today, however, a new definition has crept into the dictionary. To define success, it says, getting or achieving wealth, fortune, or fame. To have success defined as the completion, the termination of something attempted, means that success is different for different people. That's its true definition. It's different for different callings, different situations. Success is unique. It's individualized. But too many of us today only allow success to be defined as this new definition of wealth, fortune, fame, which means you either have it or you don't. If you're going to make peace with your life, you have to get back to what success really is according to the uniqueness of your life, which really is making the best of what God has given you in the situation you have. I love what I heard someone say one time. Don't let your expectations of how life should be blind you to the beauty of the life you're living. Because it is beautiful, you know. 
I know, you might not see it. You might think this life is not beautiful. This life is a mess. This life is broken. You might even think it caught God by surprise. But it didn't. Psalm 139, 16 says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. I love that part. Every day of my life recorded in your book. That means that God saw the life you'd have well before you were even news to your parents. He accounted for everything in it. His plan for you accounted for everything in it. Everything in your life. Nothing took him by surprise. And in Ephesians 2.10, Paul says that God has purposed to do something beautiful with it all, to create it all anew and do something unique with it, something good. There is meaning in your situation. And peace comes when you're able to find it. And I'm not saying find the meaning for what happened. As if you have to trace God's hand and the reason that this happened and maybe he did what he did. No, uh uh-uh. It's not thinking, well, God is in control. Everything happens for a reason. So... He must have closed this door to open another one. He must be testing me to make me stronger. He must have taken them because he needed another little angel in heaven. Or he's using this to bring me closer to him. No. We kind of already talked about this. But God isn't responsible for your misfortunes. He doesn't need to use anything but his love to draw anybody closer to him or to strengthen you. He doesn't need to bring somebody into this life and then take them because suddenly he needs another little angel. Finding meaning in your situation is a process of prayerful self-discovery, of figuring out what you, with God's grace, can do with and in this situation. How can we take the bad? How can God take the bad and turn it into good? Not everything happens on purpose, but purpose can be made out of anything. If marriage seems out of the cards for you for one reason or another, you could find meaning in giving and receiving love through community, friendships, or family. You could find meaning in opportunities that you're able to do as a single person that a married person can't as easily. Someone once told me, Where the serpent has bitten you is where you have your greatest anointing. And I found that's true for at least a couple of reasons. First, because you have an authority to speak into the lives of others in the areas of what you've been through. I think a lot of that authority comes down to compassion, which comes with making peace with your life. And there's so much good that comes out of compassion. You know, the Bible says that Jesus faced all the things that we do. He knew what it was like to be rejected and betrayed and criticized and hungry and angry. So much so that when he saw people, he understood them. He understood what they felt because he had been through it. And so he had compassion on them. And it moved him to heal. 
The Bible says compassion moved him to help people. So if you'll be careful not to get bitter, you can turn misfortunes into a treasure of compassion and purpose that is deeply satisfying. Whatever meaning you find in your situation, I'm not saying that it takes away all the pain. I'm not saying that anything is an equal replacement for what you lost or don't have. I'm not telling you to stop hoping or even to settle for how things are. Making peace with the life you didn't plan isn't done by tying your hopes directly to a circumstance or to a situation changing, though. All hope has to be tied to the good character of God. That's what we hope in. When Jesus said, here on earth you will have many sorrows, he didn't leave it there. That would be hopeless. But he continued, he said, but take heart. In other words, have hope because I have overcome the world. Jesus was directing people to look at him. And that's what we have to do too. Not hope in our circumstances, not look to our circumstances. But hope is found in a steadfast belief in God's good character. Don't let the enemy talk you out of that. So, making peace with the life you didn't plan is a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process of being real. Feeling the feelings and showing the emotions. Go through the grieving process. It's healthy. Making peace with the life you didn't plan is a process that comes from accepting the reality of what happened or what is without accepting the blame. It's a process of letting go of the picture you had of what life should be or would be and finding the unique success, meaning, and purpose in the life you have. It's one that remains confident that God is good and He is for you. But most of all, I'm not here to prescribe a one-size-fits-all solution to overcoming anything. Those rarely exist. This journey is a unique one. So I'm just here to inscribe a few healing words upon your heart. You are loved. May you take those words in. I promise you they will do more to bring you peace than a million others. Now, I have a final blessing that I want to speak over you, which I believe will kickstart some peace in your life. But first, I want to share with you what someone sent me. She wrote, Dear Kyle, thank you for your book, Shut Up Devil. I grew up with a single parent. I felt like a misfit, a mistake, and like I didn't really belong. I always hate Father's Day because the void hurts, but this past Father's Day, I was at peace. I now know that I am not a misfit, but dearly loved. I keep speaking truth over my heart, and it has transformed me. Thank you for teaching me how and restoring hope. You know, it's stories like these. 
that keep me doing what I do. So thank you, partners and donors, for helping us be there. And I know that right now the Holy Spirit is nudging some of you to help us too. So what do you say? Will you be a giver? You can give at any time at kylewinkler.org donate. Okay. I want to speak a blessing over you, which I believe will help kickstart your journey to peace. May today begin a love for the life you have. May you suddenly see blessings you never noticed, purpose in places you never considered, and advantages in quirks and qualities you fear are limits. Where you are tempted to compare, I pray you recognize your unique gifts as an essential part of God's plan. And even in those things that He didn't plan, may you experience peace and His grace in them too. In any and all circumstances, may you be certain that God loves you as you are, right where you are. And that does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good and He is for you, and we're here for you too every week on my website at kylewinkler.org, on our podcast, and wherever you get your social media. Don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. See you next time.